0: Also remember, when you buy Ochenta's audiobooks, you're directly supporting our independent audio series productions. So find Atlas Lingue, the layers of language behind everyday life, on Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobooks app.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
0: Hey everyone, I'm Luis Lopez, host of Atlas Lingue, and this is Season 3, The Language of Culture Online. This week we go all the way to Australia to hear from someone that I was really excited to talk to, Bernadette Kirwan. Bernadette is an Irish-Palestinian content creator born and raised in Sydney. Her work often goes back and forth between sharing the joys of her parents' cultures and poking fun at their more eccentric aspects. We talk about the struggles she went through growing up with immigrant parents and not always being allowed to do what her classmates could. And we also learn about how she gradually opened up to all of her cultural backgrounds, Arab, Irish, and Australian, and found the balance to be able to celebrate them equally with joy. So, here's our conversation with Bernadette Kirwin. Enjoy! It's so interesting to, to hear about you and to see your work as someone who, from what I understand, uh, oscillates between three different cultures, right? Uh, Ireland, Palestine, and Australia. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? It's super broad of a question, I know, yeah. but like, what was it like growing up in Australia with such unique cultural identity for you?
1: It was probably another layer of, I don't want to say confusion, but another layer of um, figuring out, like, you know, growing up, especially once you entered like your teenage years, you've got all these things to do with, like you said, your identity that you're trying to figure out. And I guess now having, you know, three cultures that I'm exposed to, mainly two, but essentially three, um, you've got that extra layer of figuring out that whilst perhaps initially may, there may be an element of... Confusion. you're in a little bit of a, a state of a loss because there's so much to, extra to consider. But eventually, um, through a lot of experiences, you figure it out and, and, and you find a nice balance between it all.
0: Tell me more about uh, growing up in... Was it in Sydney? Did you grow up in Sydney?
1: Yeah, so I've spent most of my my life um, in Sydney. I was born in, in Sydney, Australia, and I've lived here pretty much my whole life.
0: Did you feel unique, perhaps even lonely, or was there like some way that you felt integrated or connected to your classmates? What, what was that regarding your cultural background and identity?
1: Unique? Yes. In the sense that I didn't know anybody else that was mixed. If anybody was mixed, it was with, from within the same continent, so to speak. Like for example, any Middle Eastern friends that I met, they would be half Lebanese and half Palestinian or something like that. Like the mix would be rather similar. So definitely unique in that, in that sense, but, um, lonely, yes. Um, for a myriad of reasons, but in this context, I think, like I mentioned earlier in just lonely in this context, because I took a while to figure it all out, to find my, you know, sense of balance between the appreciating the two cultures. But, um, yeah, school was a weird time because, I guess for any, any teenager in school, particularly around like the high school years, which for in Australia is seven to 12. So you're on average between like the ages of 11 and 12 to um, 17, 18. So in that, that time period, it's, really awkward for any teenager of course yeah then when you combine that with the child of an immigrant family so there's a massive culture clash and you you put that in you know the western world where a lot of the children have a lot more liberties than you do and you don't you know it's you you struggle to understand and even appreciate why that is it's very like i said awkward because you're trying to you know remain respectful to your own culture and understand why ours is so different all whilst realizing that everybody else has, you know, so much more quote unquote freedom, if you like. And yeah, just trying to manage that. It's it's really challenging.
0: I can imagine. Like, I guess so many other classmates probably didn't have to worry about that in any way. Like maybe they just felt one way and, and that was it. And that like problem solved. Whereas you probably felt very different from that
1: yeah so most of like for example most of my friends were allowed to go on all the school camps they were oh. allowed to go to the school dances they were allowed to have boyfriends they were allowed to sleep over at their friends houses they were allowed to go out with their friends at the weekend all to which every single one of those things bar camp there was like, i think two camps my mom let me go on in school but everything else i was never allowed to do because and my mom my mom for context is the the arab my mom's the Arab, my dad's the irishman and um, in our culture in middle eastern culture our children are not given a lot of a lot of these, you know, Western, if you like, freedoms. Right. So, um, those things that I mentioned are usually reserved for the time when, uh, when the especially the daughters come of age and then get married and things like that. So, um, yeah, that was a really hard time. Like you said, a lot of my friends never not they weren't all my friends, but a lot of the the people I went to school with didn't understand. You know, how come? she's not dating anyone how come she's not allowed to go out with us and yeah it's a struggle because at home you're fighting with with the with, with, with that issue and then at school you're fighting with your friends to try and prove that you know you're cool and it's all good and it's right. yeah it's horrible it's actually it's, it's, it's simple it's
0: horrible right H- having to like moderate that or like find the the balance point of all of that yeah
1: exactly that's what i should have called it moderate
0: (laughs) and uh what did your school lunches look like uh usually
1: (laughs) um so i like i said growing up with the art of mom a lot of my lunches were very the 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 food would be very middle eastern influenced. so a lot of the time i would either have anything and everything that was thrown into, um, what we call khubiz, like our bread, our traditional round bread in Australia, we tend to call it lab bread. And, um, yeah, so whatever, maybe let's say the night before we might've had something, you know, with chicken in it, it might be shredded up and put in with like a salad or something into, um, the, the roll, we call them kebabs. We might've had like, you know, falafel, um which is like those yeah, green yeah. vegetarian. Yeah. And yeah. Um, we've, we put them into a into a kebab. Um, and if not, my mom, my parents separated when I was really young, and her second partner is from Nicaragua. So a lot of the uh, the cuisine at home was really influenced by Central American um, food. So I used to have a lot of rice based dishes. Um, so if I didn't have those type of, of um, kebabs, so to speak, I would have you know rice and beans or rice and tuna um, and things things like that
0: at some point you might have had a gallo pinto kebab.
1: Gallo pinto, yeah. <laughs> gallo pinto was probably the the main staple for breakfast in our house and so um, if we didn't have a, a you know a kebab with you know a- anything and everything inside it the other dishes that I would be sent to school with would be like a container of gallo pinto and something maybe it would be tuna or anything.
0: One thing I really like about your content, watching like your comparisons between like your Arab and Irish side is uh, how you constantly flow between different accents when you speak. Oh. Uh, and I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about that, if 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 you don't mind. I wanted to talk to you about your journey with uh, accents. I know how like sometimes you will go into an Irish accent and then back to your Australian one uh, and, and then to like an Arabic accent as well. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> Tell, tell me more about about that.
1: Um, I, I get this question a lot. A lot of people inquire as to how my accent my, my changing of accents happens so easily and I feel like it only happens easily because I was exposed to these accents growing up. I can't you know just chop and change um, with any accent. But um, definitely because growing up, I was listening to what we call my teta and my jiddo, my Middle Eastern grandparents a lot. So I picked up on their accent. And then of course with the Australian accent, well, that's my accent. That's what I've grown up around. And then with my father, well, they were all born. I'm the first person in my father's family not to be born in Ireland. So they've all got an Irish accent. So just it's just the exposure. So then it's just easy for me to pick up on it and then imitate it. But yeah, so aside from that, it's just, it's just easy when you've been exposed to it since you were young.
0: I guess like beyond being able to like do it as well, just because of, of your exposure and because of your family and all of that, is there an element of like kinship perhaps or like of it being one way to express that side of your culture as well? Yes. As in not necessarily like saying like, th- this is how my Irish family speaks, but also like me being Irish is also a part of me. And this is like a way to express it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's more relatable, right? Anybody when who's trying to, you know, even if it's in a short video, anyone who's trying to, ex, you know, express any level, any element of relatability, and um, in my case, connecting via culture, it just adds an, another layer of depth to it. Um, you know, when you want to express how you're your parents would act. If you can express that in exactly how they would have sounded, it just adds another layer of, of relatability to it. Um, so yeah, definitely. And it enhances it a hundred percent.
0: You've talked about your journey with your two cultures that that, like form you. Right. And so I I guess, could you tell me a little bit more about how, how you've developed into you know really absorbing each one of your cultures like were there moments in your life where you felt more towards one and then towards the other and how was that like discovery?
1: I love this question just because I think especially when you you see other. People that are mixed race, then this is something that that everybody goes through and and spends. I would assume um, a good amount of time struggling with. But actually, what happened for me anyway, growing up, is I went through um, what I'm going to term a phase where I was obsessed with one culture, and initially that would would have been my Irish culture because growing up with my mum, I was missing what I didn't have. So I was very very obsessed with my Irish culture, and I used to ask my mum to get me books on it. And she did bring home one really nice big book once, I remember, Um, and, you know, any shows, any songs that I could get access to um, on the television. And then when I moved in with my Irish family, as I as I got older, then I started to go through what I'm going to call my Middle Eastern phase. Where now I was obsessing over, you know, learning as much as I could about the historical aspects. I'm much older now, so my approach to this phase was different. Learning about our traditional dances, our our language more. I enrolled into a course at university to try and study it more. And yeah, so that balance came as I got older. After I'd gone through these phases growing up, where I would obsess in one at a time, and then I've now immersing myself and then absorbing what I'm going to think is the best parts of them. I've just brought them together to create that balance.
0: That's so interesting and I guess also relatable in that like you all you're always like missing what you don't have, right? Uh, exactly. I, I wonder in retrospect, do you think that when you 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 were with your mom and you like were missing that Irish side and then vice versa, looking back, do you recognize the things that you did receive at those times that you maybe weren't like thinking about or be- because you were missing the other part and and obsessed with the other other side like Oh
1: yes yes Actually, it wasn't until I became a content creator that I realized that once I became a content creator, I'm, you know, that's actually what triggered a lot of the Middle Eastern phase that I love, that I was mentioning. I you know, spent so long living with my mom, obsessing over my Irish culture. And then when I started to be a content creator, I wanted to make videos about, you know, my experiences growing up. And then I would see other creators from a similar background um, doing the same thing. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, I went through that growing up. I, I can relate to that. I remember I didn't really, you know, think about, think much of it at the time growing up. But I remember my grandparents doing that. I remember my mom talking like that. So yeah, definitely. I, I, that definitely happened as I got older.
0: For, for a lot of people, it can be just so fascinating to see, you know, a, a cultural upbringing like yours from people who don't share that culture. Yeah, but definitely. I wonder if for people who do, some some things might make it like very relatable. And the humor is, of course, in the relatability, right? So yeah. how do you construct like your content to make it relatable and to like showcase those things that you know other people who have grown up like that will recognize in, in your, for example, your Arab mom yes, skits or, or, or in any other part of your content?
1: I feel like with my content, I first of all, a lot, a lot of content creators eventually all have to accept this. We can't be relatable to everyone. Right. Uh, it kind of goes hand in hand with that saying of not everyone's going to like you, right? right. And w- once you accept that, then it becomes a lot easier to have more of a niche in your content. And that enhances your relatability again. So for the people, especially for a creator like me, where I've got both you know, an Irish Australian and Middle Eastern audience, I do have to provide context because I don't want the people that are there for the Irish content not to be able to appreciate the Arab content when that's being, you know, put out. So in my captions, a lot of the time, I will explain things that I feel like need an explanation. But with, for example, when you were asking, you know, about it makes it, you know, the humor makes it more relatable. I do, I have realized in my time creating that a lot of people find a level of peace in that humor. So for example, with, with the Middle Eastern culture, you know, growing up, a lot of us that are, you know, like I said earlier, the, you know, the children of immigrants, we feel really hard done by, so to speak. And then when you watch this content, all of a sudden you realize you weren't so alone anymore. And now all of a sudden you've got that, you know, online community where you feel more connected and you're like, oh my gosh, it wasn't just me. I wasn't alone and all of that. <laughs> and, and so it, it, it's, it's, it's a nice thing. There's a level of yes, humor in the relatability, but also peace
0: if they felt lonely at some point growing up, they, they see all of this and find out that at least one other person went through the same thing, as well as everyone else, like reacting and reading the comments and all of that, right?
1: Exactly. And actually through the comments, I've realized as well that there's so many similarities between cultures, which is I love discovering this when I make my content. And I get a lot of people that are from, you know, somewhere else in Asia or somewhere else in Central America or somewhere else, you know, in Africa where people go, oh my gosh, that was the same. My mom was like that too growing up. Um I'll often post something about my, you know, for example, my out of mom or my out of grandmother and um, in the ca- the comments I'll see so many people saying, "Oh my god, that's like my Filipino mom" or "Oh my god, that's like my, right. you know, South African mom." I've seen so much like that.
0: Latino moms are also like that.
1: I <laughs> get, I see that a lot. I feel like I don't, not on a personal level, just from an exposure sense, I witnessed a lot of, of, I grew up more with my Nicaraguan stepdad than I did with my Irish dad. So initially I had such uh, an intense exposure to to the Nicaraguan culture long before I did my Irish culture. So I, when I see people commenting, saying, you know, that the Latina mom is exactly the same, I I can totally understand because I saw it growing up as well.
0: continuing on with with your content I wanted to ask you uh, what what role does fashion play because I see of course that you you show a lot of your yeah. specific clothing that you wear could you tell me a little bit more about like the, the role that that plays and how that plays into your cultural expression and identity as well
1: I guess as any content creator as you grow with the experience your content grows with you and after I'd spent you know two plus years, making a lot of content about culture, it kind of diversified into, you know, I started to talk more about religion. And then after that, I started to talk more about, and it kind of, I guess, comes a little bit from religion uh, for me a little bit, but a huge amount of it can be influenced by religion. And so then that stemmed into what I talk about, modest fashion. And why? Well, I guess in my Middle Eastern culture, there is a huge influence there from that. The main reason I decided to do that in my, I, I consider myself a spiritual Christian and in my conviction uh, as a spiritual Christian, I felt like that was what gave me a huge level of comfort. There are other things that influence that as well, but, you know, just to put it simply, I like, first of all, the aesthetic of it. I think it looks great, but also in terms of, you know, functionality, let's look at the other aspect, the, the opposite end of aesthetics. In terms of functionality, I just think it gave me an element of feeling more empowered I felt like I was more in control of of the the image that I presented I I felt a lot more um actually I felt a lot less I should say exposed and that made me feel inherently comfortable I, I, I was trying to come up with another word there but comfort really is the the, the main achievement there
0: So I guess it's just a matter of like Of of your personal preferences But also like a certain religious influence as well But that goes beyond that And also just your personal preferences In in the way you dress Uh,
1: First and foremost It's a personal preference 110% it's a personal preference But I did like See for context Online I represent what I feel And a lot of people feel is a minority Which is Christian Arabs So majority of, of Arabs are Muslim And so a lot of them and whilst I relate culturally a lot to their content as well and a lot of them in in re- return as well with mine there is a portion of the content that I know a lot of Christian Arabs online talk about how they don't feel like they're represented so I took that as an opportunity then to also start talking about you know Christian Arabs which then led into the influence of modest fashion and you know saying online you know hey We also dress modestly as well, if we like. It's not just something that people associate um, with Islam. So I thought, you know, especially seeing as I was now talking about my religion as well as now my interest in modest fashion, that it would be appropriate to tie the two together and to allow that representation to intertwine. So for example, a lot of people don't know that in Christianity, modesty can be a big thing, not always, but it can be. Right, so I, I I found a lot of people felt like they had a voice online where I would talk about the fact that, you know, some of us wear veils when we pray, some of us choose in our conviction as Christians to adhere to a modern, uh, modern, a modest fashion aesthetic. So yeah, they gave an element of representation to, like I said, uh, what a lot of us feel is a minority, a group of people that are at at present a minority.
0: And and I guess also, uh, well, for, for one, I think of like this very negative stereotype of Islam being like this very, very conservative religion and all of that. Like, obviously that's not a monolith, right? And so there's definitely not one way to be in all of that. But then I just, I guess I find it interesting to sort of debunk that stereotype in a way and also show that there's a way to to dress modestly and also dress very stylishly and like really be very fashion forward in the way that you're most comfortable with while also being modest.
1: I will say first and foremost, my priority when it comes to talking about modest fashion online is ensuring that despite the fact that I reference the influence that it can have from religion, that it's not meant to be a forced thing. It's definitely, like we were talking about before, just a personal preference. But then, secondly, I feel like accidentally, I, 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 I don't, I don't want to toot my own horn here, but I feel like accidentally, I debunked a lot of what you were just saying in my content. Where I know that there's this big argument online about, um, you know, Islam being quite conservative, but in when I started to to bring light to the fact that there are Christians that also choose to do a lot of this, right. that debunked you know exclusion to islam and a lot of people were starting to go oh i had no idea that christians wear veils when they pray too i had no idea that christians decide to sleep if they wish um and i could go i could even you know talk about all three abrahamic faiths and say that that's also present in judaism yeah of course so i liked that i liked the fact that it took away um some of that you know um sting uh, so to speak of it all being yeah. you know, Heavily emphasized on in in one religion when actually that's not the case and and allowing you know t- people to have exposure to um Christians ha- having this sort of mindset as well should they wish was really good it it gave more of like I'm like I mentioned before that voice it was good I'm really actually <laughs> glad I started doing it
0: yeah of course I guess like I, I think of. These thoughts that exist around like the the hijab and like the the yeah. different times that it, that it's been banned in different countries or there's been attempts to ban it and all, like the, the whole discourse around that which is of course incredibly complex right but but yeah I love th- what you say about that that like Christians also do can also do this and can also yeah. pray with the veil and all of that I think that's that's very memorable. Yeah,
1: I I remember the very first time I ever made a video where I said a lot of people don't realize Christians some of us not all of us and not a lot of us um but some of us do pray with veils and um, it comes from the 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 orthodox church. And some Catholics even do it too. And I do remember a lot of people in the comments that were Muslim were saying how nice it was for people to start realizing that it wasn't just them, that it was other people as well, right. which I'm sure there was a myriad of reasons why they felt that way. But I do remember in, in terms of what you were saying that, you know, they all, all were also appreciating it too.
0: You're a teacher, right? Yes. Could you tell me a little bit about how your multicultural background, if it does, is is it a resourceful experience for your students? Do you find that like, maybe it makes it easier to relate to to them sometimes?
1: Well, especially for where I used to teach. So I, I used to teach um, for the most part of, of my teaching career. I was in a, a high school in an area where there were a lot of migrants, particularly from, from Asia and especially the Middle East in my classes. So yes, I definitely feel like as a teacher, that that was a great, um, as you termed it, resource because it helped me with, you know, an an element of relatability, not now, not just in content creation, but also in the classroom. And it's good in the sense of empathy. It's good in the sense of connection because the children didn't feel you know, like they weren't um, so misunderstood. I do remember uh, this full circle moment because I know how much I felt misunderstood growing up. I know how much I used to get, you know, my teachers used to get frustrated with me when I didn't hand my permission slips back in to go to these school dances or to go to the camps because I wasn't allowed. But I now as a teacher, I could be a lot more empathetic to my students when they weren't allowed to do whatever it was because I understood the culture. I, you know, in school growing up, I can imagine this never happened, but I can imagine that people would have gotten into trouble if they were speaking in another language. Whereas now as a teacher, that's something that didn't phase me. I just think there's like, don't get me wrong. I had a lot of awesome teachers. I don't mean, mean this in a bad way, but I, I do think there is definitely when there's a cultural connection that provides like, like you mentioned, relatability, it allows for a lot more empathy, which is a nice, nice vibe to have in the classroom. <laughs>
0: Yeah, especially like as as you said like y- you personally went through that and I guess in some way you are like the teacher you would have liked to have at some point.
1: Well, yes, that's actually why I became a teacher funny enough but not for those reasons. Okay. okay. So The teacher I would have liked to have had wasn't necessarily because of, you know, cultural misunderstandings. To put it simply, I didn't have, um, the environment I grew up in was abusive and I'll just put it in that blanket term. And then when I decided to become a teacher, I decided to, because I know I was so misunderstood as a, as a kid. And I thought it would be nice to become a teacher that I didn't have growing up. I know that sounds cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. Oh yeah. When I started working in this school, it was in an area where unfortunately, there was a lot of, of problems like this with, with my students. And so that was the full circle moment. That was the moment where I realized now I was able to give to my students what I desperately wanted when I was growing up. And, you know, I would, I would be a lot more understanding if their homework or their assessments weren't done. I, I had have more discretion when it would come to reporting things back to parents. I would open up my classroom at recess and lunch and have, you know, that safe space for them. And that, yeah, that was a whole experience unto itself, like the being, being the teacher sitting on the other side, listening to the student when I can remember being the student opening up to my teacher. Right. So yeah, very, very much a full circle moment.
0: For people who aren't as exposed to both of of your cultures on, on both sides, I guess it might sound like Irish and Palestinian, Irish and Arab are too very very different cultures like people might consider them like almost even opposite in some ways right yeah i wanted to ask you are there ways in which you have found that they like surprisingly are similar in some things or like things that like you wouldn't have imagined they have in common yeah uh, well
1: first yes you're you're right I, I like they are very different and i do know i've noticed online sometimes people get frustrated because they think that I'm pitching the two against each other. And I portray the Arab side to be the nasty side and the Irish side to be the, the, you know, the happier, you know, more positive side. And it's not necessarily that way. It's just in some context, unfortunately, that was my experience, but yes and no i am more inclined to say that they are more different than they are alike however yes they they can be alike i know it's probably too much of a stereotypical answer but when it comes to to hospitality when it comes to you know for example feeding people they can be quite similar of course the middle eastern people are known for their hospitality when it comes they want to feed anyone and everyone and in abundance and i noticed when i was in ireland one year for christmas every single place that I went as soon as I would walk in, into the door, would you like a cup of tea? She like some biscuits, you know, would you like sweets? And as soon as you come in straight away, every, they, they also just want to feed you, but in a different way. So I guess that's probably the first, first similarity. And, um, again, on the back end of hospitality, you know, their, their communal nature, the Middle Eastern culture, they do like to get together and do a lot of things, um, in in a community and the Irish are quite, quite similar, again, for different reasons, perhaps, but they, they're very communal people as well. So they're probably really the two most alike things.
0: We'll end the interview with uh, a couple of quick lightning round questions. Okay. What would be your favorite Irish snack and your favorite Middle Eastern snack?
1: <laughs> My favorite Irish snack is probably be potatoes ta- uh, okay or potatoes maybe I have to say it with the accent for it to sound more right okay. um potatoes <laughs> I I have in true Irish fashion I have an obsession with all things potato especially chips um or crisps as they would call them so I love I love a good packet of potato chips ah uh, I could give you my favorite food in my Middle Eastern culture but in terms of snack um look we eat a lot of like what we call bizard we eat a lot of seeds so I just I want, I want to say pumpkin seeds because I lo- I love okay. I love salt and the way they roast them. They're covered in salt. And, you know, (laughs) ashamedly, I eat the whole thing. So that's probably one of my favorite things. Yeah, I'll I'll go with pumpkin seeds.
0: And and what's your favorite food?
1: Um, In my Middle Eastern culture, mlukhiyyeh. Um, so for anyone that doesn't know what that is, it's like a big stew slash soup. And it's this leaf that we cook in, um, a broth. So, uh, a chicken broth and you put like, you know, onion and garlic and lemon. And it's just amazing. It's the most homey feeling. And I just, it's the best food ever.
0: Next question. If you had an, like an intro theme song or piece of music that played when you walked into a room, what would it be?
1: asked me that question before um I have absolutely no idea an intro theme song I don't know I would I love look I'm going through for you brought up music I'm going through an Ed Sheeran phase at the moment I want to say because of the the Irish influence in in this song I want to say like castle on the hill or something like I'm on my way (laughs) just go with that
0: (laughs) I like that I like that
1: yeah yeah that's the first thing that came to mind
0: Thank you very much to Bernadette for opening up to us about her upbringing, her own journey to embrace her cultures, and her struggles to find the best way to celebrate them and share them with her audience online. You can follow Bernadette on Instagram and TikTok at Bernadette.Kirwin, so make sure to check out her videos. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Ochenta Podcasts and on TikTok at Studio Ochenta. You can also watch this season's interviews and more of our shows on our YouTube channel at Ochenta Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Imagine the size... Hi, it's Luis here, and I want to tell you about a show we've been listening to called the Pulso podcast. There are a lot of podcasts that cover Latino culture and news, but this is one of the first we've heard that really utilizes the throughline of history to provide more context and nuance to our stories. From the halls of Congress to the stages of Broadway, even the food we consider to be American, Latinos helped build this country, and we're not going anywhere. Yet most podcasts are still lacking Latino representation behind and in front of the mic. The Pulso Podcast is a Latina-hosted, latina produced show that explores untold stories and unheard voices shaping the experiences of nuestra gente. They've covered topics from beauty standards and gender equality to mental health and food origins. And did you know that there is an official Spanish version of the Star-Spangled Banner? Or that a team of Mexican lawyers changed the future of segregation laws in the 50s? To hear more, check out the Pulso podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.